I like to tell people my story is just a lot about following curiosity. If somebody brings something up that sounds interesting or you don't know about and you think you might want to know a bit more about it, like follow that. Don't ignore that voice. Hello, and welcome to The Crypto Brief, a podcast from the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Every week, we get together to discuss current events and trends in blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, NFTs, mining, and related aspects of the crypto ecosystem. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stubbe, Director of Bitcoin Mining, and I'm joined by Jason Ward, Head of the Blockchain Incubator, Parth Gargava, Product Architect within Fidelity Labs, and Jack Newrider, Research Analyst with Fidelity Digital Assets. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that this discussion is for educational purposes only and should not be viewed as investment advice or a recommendation for any security or asset. The views expressed are those of the co-hosts and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. As we all know, digital assets are speculative and highly volatile and are only for those investors with a high risk tolerance. So let's dive into what's been happening recently. Hey folks, how are you? Great. How are you? Fantastic. So we have we have Jason and Jack, and we have a special guest today. We are super excited to host uh, Maggie Love. Uh, welcome, Maggie. She's uh, one of the co-founders of Web3 Cloud, uh, which provides data center services and is actually valued close to a billion dollars. So that that's amazing. Um, Maggie is also the founder and the CEO of SheFi, which is an educational initiative for women in crypto and DeFi. So, uh, so Maggie, welcome again. Um, typically, when Jason, Jack, and I meet new crypto personalities, we love to talk about the origin story. How did you get into crypto? Uh, and most importantly, how has that passion evolved over time? Well, yeah, I would love to tell you about that. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here and discuss uh, all the things you just covered. To start off, my origin story to crypto goes back to 2016. I was working at IBM doing product strategy for IBM Watson and financial services. So trying to do some of the use cases you're seeing take off today with AI all the way back in 2016. I was in a corporate strategy meeting in 2016 around spring and there was somebody on the phone that kept saying like blockchain, 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 like you gotta, we gotta talk about blockchain. And everybody in the room was like, oh my gosh, mute him. Like he won't stop talking about blockchain. And I was like, wait, somebody's excited about something. And I think I need to go like figure out what that is just because, you know, um, he was so passionate about it. And I think I was just sort of, you know, uh, looking for something new. And so when I heard that, I was like, okay, I'm going to go figure this out. So I literally uh, left work that day and in, in, in New York and walked up to Union Square to the Barnes and Noble, searched blockchain and whatever their search bar is and found a book called The Blockchain Revolution. And I read it in about like two days or less maybe. And it had like all these exciting use cases for this technology called the blockchain, which I, I didn't even really understand what the technology was, but I understood it allowed for cross-border remittances, uh, for provenance of goods, um, you know, for even financial services applications, like going from T plus three for settlement to T zero. And um, a lot of the use cases in that book were around social impact. And I just thought like, this sounds so cool. It sounds like it's really going to change value creation and transfer and accessibility. So I was like, I have to, I, I have to be a part of it. And I, I did try to do it. It was tough because moving around a uh, corporate red tape, 
And so when that was kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe you can in the future. Like, they're like, yeah, maybe in a couple years. I was like, I think it's happening right now. Like, I don't know much, but I think it's happening right now. So I just spent my, you know, high time hiding in cubicles, talking to people, trying to figure out what this thing was. There wasn't a lot on the Internet about it. And then uh, in the beginning of 2017, I found I was on LinkedIn. People like to, you know, like. I guess people like to hate on LinkedIn uh, as like one of the platforms we have out there. But honestly, LinkedIn was part of my story that changed my life, I guess. So I went on LinkedIn, looked up blockchain and saw that I had a mutual connection to somebody that worked at a company called Consensus and that it was a blockchain company. So I reached out to my friend and I was like, will you introduce me to this person? I ended up meeting that person for coffee uh, in around April, I want to say 2017. And uh, the coffee was in a place called Swallow, which is out in Bushwick and next to like the consensus office, which was a flat. So I'm going over there in like my corporate America, like outfit, and then going to this coffee shop with this person who's dressed very casually. We go up into the office and like everyone's dressed casually. Everyone looks really bright eyed and like bushy tailed and like, you know, they're a part of something and wants to meet me and know who I am. And just that energy, I was like, okay, I have to work here. You know, I was like, this is so different than what I'm, what I'm used to. And, um, it just felt very right. So I like to tell people my story is just a lot about following curiosity. If somebody brings something up that sounds interesting or you don't know about, and you think you might want to know a bit more about it, like follow that, don't ignore that voice. And it was, uh, a serendipitous journey of like finding it, happening to know somebody. And I honestly didn't even know like about tokens when I joined consensus. So uh, there was definitely a, a learning curve there too, but I knew that there was something to do with this technology that I had to be a part of. It's funny. I was coming into blockchain around the same time and I had spent the majority of my career working in financial services, running operations and strategy. And I started looking at um, enterprise just, distributed ledger technology and asking questions, how does this actually change the world of finance? And the more I started digging in, I was like, wow, this changes the world, not the world of finance. And when you talk about like the bright eyed, bushy tailed, it was amazing to me to find this subculture. At first, people seemed to paint it as a counterculture, but I definitely think it was more of a subculture where people were excited about the opportunities. And I found myself asking, you know, I've, for years I've done goodness that has helped many people around the world save and prepare for their own financial uh, futures and, and those of their families. But all this stuff is not really tangible. Like I can't turn around and show somebody this. But then you start asking questions about like, what can the technology do? And I had met somebody who was explaining to me that they were using the technology to track uh, where livestock existed so that they could deal with outbreaks of hoof and mouth disease. And they were using it to record property ownership so that farmers could actually use their property as collateral to get loans to buy the seed that they needed to feed their nations. And I was like, well, it's amazing. So um, you, you think about the different angles that people come into this space from, and it's really, really inspiring. So it's great to hear, great to hear your background on that. Yeah, I think a lot of those use cases were what compelled me also, or people trying to figure out how to keep money within local communities or, you know, how to, um, you know, like you mentioned, like uh, establish identity in places where they might not have traditional certificates or it's just like this piece of paper. And so all of those use cases really compelled me. And what I liked about when I joined this space as well and was 
uh, being exposed to people is that people were coming from all over with all like, uh, how do we organize better? How do we coordinate resources better? How do we change uh, storytelling and narrative building to support creators? Like uh, it was like all of these different industries and uh, passions and use cases uh, were coming together under this one roof. So just the people I was surrounded by was really inspiring um, every day. I think there are specific traits to people who are in crypto, right? So just culturally, you think about people who are super curious, they care about financial freedom, they also care about liberating others in terms of finances. And and so I think consensus back in the day in 2016, 2017 had its own culture. I remember there were a few mini startups within consensus just focused on social impact. Could you could you talk more about your time at consensus? Yes. So I joined in 2017 uh, on a team called Strategic Initiatives. And basically, Joe Lubin was like, come and either start a company or help a company operationalize with like your backgrounds and, you know, uh, strategy and operating teams, you know, or, you know, kind of like make big things happen for consensus. It was loosely defined as a lot of things were in 2016-2017. Uh, but I loved that. Like I totally thrived in that environment. I thrive in a space where somebody's like, figure this out. Like I'm not very good at once the thing is figured out, doing it over and over again, maybe. But I really like the kind of like, oh, how am I going to figure it out to like getting into tackling it? And I talk to everybody in 20 end of 2017 to, you know, before the first crash of 2018, Companies, leaders, you name it, everybody wanted to know how blockchain fit into their strategy. So it was just really fun of helping people ideate, go through use cases, uh, you know, people that were doing like electric vehicles, people that were trying to extend like human life, people that were creatives and storytellers, like from big companies to just interesting people, everyone wanted to experiment with this technology. So a lot of my time was talking to these new uh, potential organizations to do consulting for, uh, to create joint ventures with. And yeah, there was social impact. There was science fiction. There was real estate on the blockchain. Um, there was energy, you know, energy and utility management on the blockchain. Like you name it, consensus had someone working on figuring out how to leverage blockchains for a specific industry or use case. And so in my role, uh, Actually, within the first couple of weeks that I joined, uh, Joe was like, hey, there's a uh, group of people coming to town uh, and they're attached to advanced micro devices, the chip maker, and they're actually going to bring Dr. Lisa Sue, the CEO. And uh, we need to put together materials on like Ethereum, the history, the timeline, the use cases, and like put some stuff in there about like GPUs and hardware. But like, don't uh, don't be too like, you know, no, everybody that makes chips is acting like crypto has nothing to do with their sales. So don't be too on the nose about it. And I was like, oh, great. It's my, you know, fourth week at consensus. And there is no information on the Internet about Vitalik's plans for the Ethereum timeline in a coherent place. But, you know, I was an ex-consultant, ex-product person. So I was like, slides are, you know, second nature to me. And um, I put together all these materials for this meeting. And, you know, I was honestly on Reddit, like looking for Vitalik's comments on when if I don't remember, remember, I don't know if you remember the timeline of like Serenity and like the old Ethereum timeline, but I was like finding that and putting this thing together. And then at, we took the first meeting. And Joe's like, great, did like you do all that? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, great, will you close this deal for me? Uh, like we want to make something happen with this uh, was these uh 
two people whose name is uh, Sammy Issa and Wael Abarita, who are now my co-founders. And then they were going to, you know, bring in AMD to a joint venture around hardware for Web3. And so the thesis was, uh, we see how massive the compute is for Web2. And uh, they believed that that need for compute would be just as big as Web2 or even greater than in the Web3 space. And so um, I was... 27 years old at the time. And uh, I was like, sure, I'll figure out how to make it happen. And um, worked with like lawyers and bringing people together and negotiating terms and doing all of that for for Joe. And so that uh, company I co-founded officially, I think in March of 2018. And so that was quite the initiation into consensus and making things happen. Um, and so that journey has really been about finding use cases that do need GPU, CPU, even FPGA types of compute to run specific workloads on the blockchain. And um, it's been really incredible. My role there is uh, ecosystem and partnerships. So I talk to every developer in the Web3 space, whether they're building uh, zero knowledge proofs, which is kind of the newer technology, storage, staking, infrastructure, uh, RPC and gateway, uh, different scaling solutions. I spend 100% of my time trying to figure out how we can support software builders so they can focus on the software and uh, let us take care of the hardware. So that's a bit about my time at Consensus, uh, co-founding Web3 Cloud and, and what I really focus on there today. You mentioned the timing of rolling out Web3 Cloud was March 2018. So that was you know, what what was the top? Uh, yeah, January 2018, maybe a little bit of a rollover of that top, and then you sort of founded the company right in the beginnings of that bear market that lasted you know two years. Was there like, and and maybe this is sort of analogous to the period that we're going through at the moment, where there was a bunch of these companies founded sort of maybe at the end of the the crypto market cycle, and now we're just kind of bobbing around maybe throughout the rest of this year. It kind of looks that way at the moment anyways. Um, were there like struggles there? Was there a lot of like activity and people looking for what you guys were providing at the time? Because it seems like there was a, a period in there where, you know, there not that there wasn't a lot of activity happening, but there weren't net new dollars flowing into the system until really like 2020 when everybody got excited about it again. That that was my first bear market that I had personally been through was 2018. Um, and I wish I had listened to the Bitcoin sages who are in the Ethereum ecosystem now who are like, chill out. Like, it's just a cycle every time. Um, and you know, we're definitely seeing it again where, you know, just capital is tighter all around. And what I will say about that time is uh, luckily we had just closed the deal. So we were kind of on this fundraising path, which I can't go into too much details about. But, you know, people definitely believed in the idea for infrastructure in the Web3 space um, supporting, you know, at that time, you know, Ethereum really, but we we're starting to see the beginnings of new even blockchain protocols and use cases. Uh, uh, you're going to learn this about me. I tend to have multiple things going on at once. So I also at the time was dabbling in a science fiction storytelling universe project called Solarius, uh, which was to really uh, create a new IP, uh, evolve fan fiction with royalties and all the stuff you're seeing today. And unfortunately, that did not make it through $80 ETH 2018 when consensus was restructuring. Um, but what I will say about that time is personally, like, I'm not going to pretend it wasn't slightly uh, frightening to me to like 
you know, go from this high, high consensus, having a retreat in Portugal, like feeling like I had made this incredible decision to like, oh my gosh, like I'm living in New York city. Like I have to pay rent. Like I hope things will work out. And luckily web through cloud was always safe. So I knew I always had a role. Um, but you know, things did get tempered down and, uh, it was definitely more of a challenge to accomplish some things. Uh, but out of that time came SheFi. So I had the, I started having the idea for SheFi in 2019. And I think we can go more into that. But what I like to tell people is like times of quiet and times of slowness, let's say, or times of uh, less opening up Twitter and feeling like you missed something every single day, missed whether it was an ICO back in the day or an NFT project a year ago, uh, allows you to think and look around and actually see where things may be missing that you can have an impact on. So I think that, you know, it's definitely a roller coaster to be in the space, especially when we can't deny that the value of the token is derives treasury balances and and other and how we get funded and just a lot of the economics around it. But I actually enjoy these periods of slowness and just getting back to building, thinking, uh, not opening up Twitter to feeling like I missed something. And so I, while I don't like love how slow they can be at times, it's definitely a good time to rethink, reframe and look for new opportunity. The cliche bear markets are for building. <laughs> yeah. I had this idea that like everybody who was stayed through the last bear market, no shame if you left and come back, came back at the last bull should get like maybe like a Grateful Dead bear NFT or somebody should come up with some <laughs> cool NFT because I feel like that's, you know, the bull markets don't come without people trying to build in the bear, right? Like OpenSea had, you know, four people and we're trying to raise money for these things called non-fungible tokens and like nobody cared. And then, you know, they hit the, they had the perfect idea. So if that infrastructure was not there, we wouldn't have seen all this, uh, stuff that drove the last cycle take off so easily. So it's definitely, definitely a good reminder that bear markets are for builders. I think there is something special about the people who got into crypto around 2016, 2017. And I think it's all four of us here, but the, the class of 2016 was more dreamy eyed, more thinking about blockchain use cases. There were more books around blockchain use cases versus using blockchain as a financial instrument. When I see my peers now getting into crypto, the first thing they ask about is passive yields, right? Without thinking about how this technology can do uh, good, and so uh, I, I love I love how you found you you got that downtime and then you founded Shefi. Was there a specific moment where you were like, "Hey, this is my calling to found Shefi"? There was a couple of moments. Um, one, you know, some there's almost too much to touch on in my origin story with crypto. But when I realized that I can invest in this asset and like nobody could tell me no, and even better, my VC friends didn't know how to invest in it. And there was like still like some tape around that, like pre-VC days. I was like, oh, look at me. Like I'm investing in the future of finance. I live in New York. Like this is totally going to disrupt Wall Street. And um, I loved telling that to people. So like, you know, I got humbled really quickly in 2018, but I love telling that to people. I love feeling super empowered by that. And like for once, I had an ability to take control of my own finances. And there was like no confusing red tape or 
tests or whatever it was. Like I'm competent. I see builders. I see value. I've used the thing. I get to invest. So I think that was a big moment for me. And so that idea of uh, accessible and inclusive finance stuck with me, but I didn't really see anything happening in terms of robust use cases until 2019. So, you know, in the slowness of the bear market, people start talking about decentralized finance. They start mentioning a lending protocol where you get like 11% interest. And what I noticed and what was, you know, true within consensus is that all of a sudden that everybody who got moved to the new DeFi unit was a man. Like every single role, like product, marketing, operations, legal. Um, and so I was like, wait, this is... This is the new thing and and like all the men are getting moved to it, but also like being in consensus, it was an open floor plan. So I just heard people all the time talking about the experiments they were taking and the, and the risks and the money they were making. Um, and I was like, okay, there's something here. Like we, I like, I need to learn what DeFi is. And the first aha moment was I was just getting coffee with a good friend, um, Corbin Page, and he mentioned that they did the NCAA bracket. That's the basketball tournament. And everyone puts money in a pot and uh, picks a winner. And over the month of the March Madness, whoever wins gets the pot of money. And he was like, what we did with the pot of money is we put it in a DeFi protocol to earn interest because if it gets hacked, like no big deal, only one person was going to get it anyway. And Shifi wasn't even a name in my head yet, but I was like, I left that conversation, like asking him about the NCAA bracket to being like, there's something here. Like there has to be a way of getting people comfortable with playing with money and these new protocols and like getting rid of the emotional attachment they have with it. Like we, we know that money for every person has some bit of emotional attachment to it. And so I was like, how do I get women over the hump of, you know, having emotional attachment to money so they can like play with it. Um, and she fives evolved over time, but that was really a pivotal conversation where I was like, okay, there's something here. And I was at home on a run. I want to say like a couple months later, just thinking about like literally meditating on like taking risks with risks with money. Like what tournament could I do? Like, well, I don't really watch TV, so I couldn't do like the bachelorette. Like, so I was just like meditating on all these things. And I was just saying the word DeFi over and over and again in my head. And then the name Shefi came up and I literally got home from my run and like told I was in Chicago and told my parents. And I was like, I just thought of this name and to called Shefi. It's a play on this thing called decentralized finance. Like, I think I can teach women. My parents are like, we don't know what you're talking about, but that's a great name. So like you should do it. And, um, really when the name came to me, it felt like, yeah, like I have been, you know, inspired somehow divinely or not to do something, uh, with decentralized finance education and, you know, help women, help women learn it. So that was like kind of the two moments where I was like, okay, I must do this. And, um, I don't have like a traditional financial background, but I was like, everyone's learning new things in this space. And so I bet if I commit time and energy and ask questions, like I can come up with a couple of courses. Now in 28, 19, there was only like compound Ave, Uniswap and stable coins and like MakerDAO. So, you know, I also thought I was like, going to make like five courses and, and be done with it. Obviously a lot's changed, but my goals were getting women comfortable taking risks in DeFi protocols and doing it with a community and just getting that, you know, muscle of like 
you know, you would never want to put in more than you can lose. But if you lose a bit of money, like, and you're, and you have the, and you've put it in a pool to do so, like, it's going to be okay. So, um, that was kind of like what all the things I was thinking about when I was thinking about starting it. And then after I thought of the name, I just started like jamming on the structure and creating content and, and went into like a deep research hole. I have to say, I can go back for a second. Your Grateful Dead reference, much appreciated. I sat here thinking, okay, what are the different songs they'd pull out? I think trucking makes a lot of sense because people just kept trucking along, dealing with the ups and downs. And I'm sure you as a founder have experienced that in, in multiple ways. But when you talk about the, the, the goal of bringing people into this space, particularly women into this space, it's, it's an interesting, in my opinion, it's an interesting way to look about it because so many people are just intimidated in general by finance. And then you throw in the complexities of this emerging technology. And something that you said really hit home with me is that I think if I just get into it, I can start learning. And one of the things that we talked about a lot as a blockchain incubator at Fidelity was we're going out and helping people understand this, but we're learning it together. You know, you're just a little bit further down that path than maybe the next person. It doesn't mean that you're going to always be ahead. Like the ability to learn together was, was is really, I think, great and empowering. I think it, it helps from the reinforcement. So, you know, you mentioned community. Um, I want to ask at this point in time, you, you've been doing this for a little bit. Like, how have you seen your community evolve? And what are the, some of the things that you're most proud of uh, as a result of this journey that you've been trucking along? Yes. I love what you said about we're doing it together. And I think, you know, rightly so blockchains an inherently collaborative technology, right? It's not one uh, node processing all the transactions. If we're going to get nerdy about it, it's a bunch of nodes coming to consensus that this is the state of truth. And so I think that collaboration and openness is really uh, core to the way people act as well. Right. So uh, it's interesting how much that subculture ethos has arisen from this technology. And yeah, so community is really the the driver for me and why I keep doing what I do. And I'm going to be honest, when I started it, first of all, I didn't know if anybody would care or like it, um, but that didn't really stop me. I was like, no big deal. I do this and find out people don't want to learn about blockchain. Like, sure. Uh, but I might as well see if people are interested in alternative uh, financial opportunities and, and technology. And I... Uh, taught my first public cohort. So I, I first did one internally at Consensus for the women in Consensus, and they were all really excited about it. And I was like, okay, now it's time to see if people who don't care about blockchain find this interesting. And I just did it in lockdown for friends and friends of friends. It was pretty casual. And after the first class, everyone's like, when's the next one? That was amazing. Like people loved learning something new and feeling like they were, you know, able to grasp it. And now able to even just become conversational about it. And I was like, okay, I must be on to something because these people know nothing. I mean, they came from finance or Google or Apple or were therapists, but they were like, yeah, we love <laughs> your class. And I was like, awesome. And then my, um, and you know, I, I grew, I grew Shefi pretty slowly in the beginning and, you know, for a while I was a bit of a one woman show. So that was part of the reason, but my first big community moment where I was like, wow, I have to keep doing this was once we could go and be, I guess, meeting in public again, meeting IRL again. Um, I had had a second cohort of women that just signed up off of Twitter. Like it was like 40 women. I was like, this is great. It was like end of 
2020, beginning of 2021. And we had met for lunch, I want to say in June 2021 or something. It was like only seven people. And one woman was like, I just want you to know your course changed my life. Like I uh, was in a very non-crypto industry. I got into the Web3 space because of your course. I was able to leave my husband and pay for my daughter's uh, medical needs, which was not possible with my old industry. And like, I just want to thank you for changing my life. And I'm not advocating for a divorce. Like that's, that's not the point. But just seeing that what I thought was my mission, which is financial freedom is feminine, happened in real life. Like women were taking this course, feeling confident, getting comfortable with the technology, using these tools and able to pivot from a totally non-crypto industry to like a, a great blockchain firm. And I was like, okay, even if I teach seven women a year for the rest of my life or 40 and I get to meet a few of them, like I must keep doing this because uh, it's, it's clearly way more impactful than just like learning about the technology. And from that, it also grew into like, okay, I want to keep meeting women in person. Like class is great, but like, how do we also architect more programs and spaces and uh, avenues to connect and share stories and really go from just me being a teacher of a course to me building a community around this mission. And, you know, today we're at 1700 women that have signed up for the program or have come through different uh, programs like the one I'm doing with FCAT. So it's been amazing. And now there's like multiple founders in, in the Shifi community and people getting jobs at big web three protocols all the time. Ethereum foundation, Uniswap, uh, stellar, you name it. It's, um, we're really advocates and supporters in getting people hired. And moreover, I just love, I collaborate with a lot of them now. So like, uh, we're throwing a big summit in Paris in July and the whole, everyone helping me is uh, a member of Shifi and the energy and the, the excitement and the positivity around creating this physical manifestation of what we've curated uh, on the internet is, it's just awesome. Like I feel lighter after every <laughs> interaction I have with a Shifi member. So that's really like the driving force behind it and why I also work hard to implement more things for the community outside of just coming to class for 13 weeks and then never see you again. That, that's awesome. I, I know these guys have questions, but I say impact is the word that resonates most with me because we, as, as we think about how we measure what we do, uh, so much of it is intangible. But when you get that feedback, you get those statements, uh, it's got to be incredibly rewarding. Yes. And yeah, the exciting thing is, even though it feels like the market is slow, like multiple members have been securing jobs. A woman just recently led a whole like open DSI workshop and working group inside of like a big consulting firm. So whatever it is, it's always coming back to like, because of the course and the community and the support and the network. And so I'm like, okay, we gotta continue moving this forward and make it bigger and bring more people in and see what happens from uh, growing that, you know, that network. How do you view over the past like six or seven years, the skew of, you said it was, you know, very male dominated back when you had first started, you kind of looked around and there was projects and it was like, there's not a single female on this team. It, do you think both from like the, the builders and the users side, have you seen some progression there? Cause it, it still does feel fairly male skewed in the, in the crypto space from my vantage point. I mean, there are certainly a number of females in the space, but 
probably not as many as there could be. Yes, I think, you know, with 2016 and 2017, you had to basically be in our positions, exposed to finance, exposed to tech, because that was really the first way to interact with it. Maybe you went to like a Bitcoin meetup or somebody sent you some crypto and likely if they were doing that, they were in this like tech or finance scene. If you were on those reddits, like that was really I don't know if I could have found out about blockchain if I wasn't at a place like IBM. And so I think that's where a lot of the initial people were uh, coming in from or, you know, they have totally I love hearing early origin stories as well, because it's like. I know a guy who took like GMAT classes and the guy was like, pay me in Bitcoin. And, you know, that was his journey. So you never know. But it seemed that it, those two industries were the ones most uh, exposed in the beginning. And when I started Shefi, I launched it April 2020. And just that same time, a report came out from CoinGecko that said 99% of DeFi users are men in between the ages of like, you know, 25 and 45. And so I was like, wow, what timing? I get to put this in my Hello World article. Uh, like I had an intuition and I could see what was around me, but it was nice that the numbers had changed. Uh, you know, but over that six years, we've seen so many new use cases and we do cover them all in Shefi. So whether that's the NFT space, non-fungible tokens, decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs, which really allow people to, uh, you know, gather around a mission uh, more easily. And so those a lot of those uh, DAOs tend to be impact oriented. So I think that's brought a lot of more women into the space. And um, we've seen more like, you know, building new types of social brands or makeup brands. Now that people are really understanding the more, I guess, commercial plus creative tools in the space, we're seeing a lot more women join the space because it doesn't feel like finance and tech, which, you know, they've been less exposed to and especially finance, which is like they feel like is not for them. So we've definitely seen a change. Uh, we're not, you know, at parity yet, which is, you know, I think where we'd all like to be. But we're definitely making inroads. And I think more people are seeing what has been coming out of the space and saying like, oh, I do see that could be for me. And I think that's really been a big shift as we've seen the use cases kind of go out of this DeFi summer 2020 degenning into different yield farming plays to more non-fungible tokens, brands, um, creative communities, artists uh, feeling more empowered with the technology. No, that's, that's interesting that you kind of are alluding to this idea of like when it's less just about like the the monetary incentive and there's other use cases as well i feel like one of the things that gets cited a lot of times is like and i actually pulled it up because i was like i swear fidelity has done research on this is like uh this is a 2021 report on women investing five million fidelity accounts over a period of 10 years women outperform their male counterparts by 40 basis points and like i think a lot of it tends to have to do with like risk aversion and and women will do a lot of like set it and forget it, whereas men trade around and have all these behavioral biases when you're trading, et cetera. You know, there's a, a bunch of those types of studies, but you often hear like women are more risk averse and this space is very volatile. And so when it's only about, you know, the, the price of Bitcoin and ETH, et cetera, like you could see how potentially being more risk averse uh, may, you know, put some women off from the space. But then when there's actually other use cases here, like you said, that are starting to come up, like it makes sense that the space becomes more and more inclusive. Yes. And something to note about that too, is what I think is great about these use cases is maybe 
your end means wasn't to pick up some ETH because you were trading it, but like you needed it to do these other things. And all of a sudden you start seeing like, oh, that's like going up or that's going down. And so you start to just pay more attention to it, especially when it goes up and you're like, okay, like maybe I, I should hold on to this for a bit. So I think a lot of these new use cases were, you know, um, onboarding in ways that we probably didn't even recognize as much because you need to get the actual asset in order to use a lot of these tools or vote in these decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, But a lot of what I talk about is financial freedom is feminine. I don't give like specific trading advice or investment advice. I'll give frameworks and tools. Um, But, you know, I always try to tell my community, like, pay attention to what I'm teaching, you know, and if you I teach like blue chip use cases haven't been hacked on specific networks that don't go down. So like from there, you could do some analysis if you were looking for more investment opportunities um, and trying to like let people know that this is all built on things that if you wanted to take a position in, like you could, if you'd started using yourself and, and found it valuable. For me, it's, it's fascinating how access to crypto markets has evolved in that it seems that it's, it skews younger and younger. And I think uh, in part, you can attribute that to uh, a top-notch meme gang, <laughs> and, and everybody yeah. is about the memes, and it's a great way to bring people in. What I found interesting is uh, being a parent. I have I have kids who are coming up, and they have an innate exposure to this because of the work that I do and because of my own curiosity. And I think a lot of times that the exposure is what becomes contagious because you can start to learn things and. I, I was listening to you speak and I thought whether it's NFTs or DAOs or um, or other use cases, people gravitate to things that they have or feel affinity for. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, clearly comes through with you and your mission and, and your vision and, and the work that you're doing. But I think that's one of the uh, empowering things about exploring the blockchain ecosystem because it can be so much more about uh, finance or creativity. It's its what you want to make of it. And for me, I found it started out in that, that finance area, finance tech. What blew me away was when I walked into a grocery store, probably about 2017, and there were a couple of high school kids literally putting produce on the shelves, talking about the fact that they had both just set up their ETH mining rigs. And they were totally into it. And I was like, Wow. So this is not like you have to be a finance professional. It was just people could self-select. And I think that's one of the most empowering aspects of this. Once you get beyond the potential intimidation about, I I don't know this, I'm not tech focused or I'm not financial focused. There are so many people like yourself who are out there just trying to make it easier for people to come into the community and and learn. So um, I think sometimes when we see these statistics, oh, digital assets and blockchain interest skews towards a younger crowd, I think it's because they're still learning and their 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 communities are learning about. They're getting exposed in those ways where some of those um, other uh, cohorts may not have that interest. Um, I, I frankly, I'm disappointed at times when I hear people dismissive of the technology and of the, the ecosystem because I think it's lazy. You know, it's it's easy to say that we can't. Um, we, we shouldn't be doing something if you don't know what it is. But it's a lot harder to say, well, why should we go after it? And um, I think parts of your point earlier, like that intellectual curiosity that brings a lot of people in, it's, it does seem to be quite common. Yeah. I, I do have to say that this has been a really fun conversation, Maggie. And I, I kind of want to bring it home uh, by asking you that 
what's next for Shifi? What's the long-term vision? How do you scale it? Do we see Shifi Popes, Shifi credentials? Uh, what, what do you have in, what, what are your plans? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I tend to be a person with a lot of ideas, so I really have to sit back and think and think and focus on like what's the next thing. So Shifi started uh, in the pandemic, so it was very virtual community. I mentioned we had that first get together in 2021. Um, we kept doing smaller get togethers around different crypto conferences and realized that so much networking, people get jobs from these events, people uh, find co-founders, people just find new friends to go to the rest of the conference with. The like in-person continued learning is really critical to community building. So as I mentioned, we're throwing a big Shifi Summit in Paris. If you're gonna be at ETCC, it'll be the day before on July 16th. We have Meltem Demours keynoting. I'm sure you know her uh, from CNBC and Twitter. We have great sponsors and that day's really focused on inspiring talks and interactivity. So collecting PO apps for going to different talks, messaging people not on Telegram or text, but through XMTP uh, enabled apps, which are a Web3 native messaging protocol to your wallet, uh, Web3 merchandise. So really this interactive day with a lot of networking and um, great talks and panels, not you know, we are gonna learn about the product, but it's not a shill fest. And so that's really the next step. Uh, we're setting out to host 300 people. Uh, we're feeling really confident about it. If that goes well, we'll continue to do them probably, you know, twice a year. So maybe at the next DevCon in uh, 2024 and again in another conference. So that's really like the focus right now is, you know, what happens when we bring a lot of people together and how do we keep uh, meeting with the community, especially after they've finished the cohort. And, you know, beyond that, the hope is to just scale and get the word out and continuing um, having a lot of people sign up. Some things that we've initiated to do that is we have local chapter leads in different areas who want to volunteer getting women together. Uh, you know, that's in Lagos, Nigeria, Paris, France, San Francisco, New York, Mexico City. We really have a lot of people from all over. So how do we keep people meeting uh, in person as well and getting the word out? Uh, we have a new group in uh, Singapore that's really looking to get like the word out in Singapore and have people take the classes, but then volunteer to bring them together to talk about that, uh, what's going on in class in person. And other exciting things we're working on is like credentialing, thinking about new ways to credential your learning journey. I didn't mention this, but Shifi has three pillars, education, experimentation, and community. You can read as much as you want, but we all know that until you mint that first NFT or send that first transaction, you're holding your breath and you're like, did I just send my money into the into the ether, right? Like, is it gone forever? When it finalizes, you breathe, you did it correct. So each week in Shifi, uh, we did do our best to encourage and experiment. So for lending, it's uh, lending into Aave. For decentralized exchanges, it's swapping on Uniswap. For NFTs, it's minting what we've uh, created, which is called a participate to earn NFT. That participate to earn NFT plugs into your wallet address. So when you do different activities, you can actually earn traits and build this NFT. So it's kind of like we're building out traits that define your Shifi quest. And that quest can be doing a Web3 uh, blockchain activity, or it can be coming to like 20 Shifi events and you'll earn something in the future. So we're really focused on continuing to get people excited about trying things and these Web3 native ways and being able to show off your 
uh, certification and not just getting like a stamp, but like something that you earn and unlock over time. So trying to gamify a bit more the learning experience. So in-person events, better gamification, uh, continued programming is uh, all things that we are continuing to offer. And I think long term right now I do classes live. Let's see how much how many more years I have in me for that. Um, But it's really fun. So we'll just have to see. But hopefully we just keep scaling, growing. And uh, as we grow, come up with uh, ways to encourage that decentralization in those geographies where, you know, I'm in New York. So outside of uh, New York City. I, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much again, Maggie. It was really fun hosting you. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. And uh, yeah, we look forward to your future endeavors. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. Digital assets are speculative and highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and are only for those investors willing to risk losing some or all of their investment and who have the experience and ability to evaluate the risks and merits of an investment. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast was produced by Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, also known as FCAT. FCAT does not offer digital assets nor provide clearing or custody of such assets. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide tax, legal, insurance, or investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for any security or other asset by any fidelity entity or any third party. Views expressed are as of the date indicated based on the information available at the time and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. Fidelity and any other third parties mentioned in the podcast are independent entities and not affiliated. Mentioning them does not suggest a recommendation or endorsement by Fidelity. This information is not intended for distribution to or use by any person or entity in any jurisdiction or country where such distribution or use would be contrary to local law or regulation. Persons accessing this information are required to inform themselves about and observe such restrictions. Third-party trade marks appearing herein are the property of the respective owners. All others are the property of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023. FMR LLC. All rights reserved. 1040156.